Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's like 10 iPads up here. Somebody doesn't claim them. I'm taking all of them. Cool. Welcome. Guys, it is a real honor and a real delight and joy to be here with you. Um, man, I don't know how you guys feel, but I get, I get excited, um, particularly in the morning times, but for our Sunday morning gatherings, I just get excited every Sunday morning that uh, we get the opportunity to gather as a church and gather as a, a body, a piece of a larger body, right? The universal church, we get to flesh that out and work that out through the local church, and I'm just excited. Do you realize that Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says that uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that every single morning it's made new. Every morning, every morning you're waking up to brand new mercy. And that is a I mean, that should stir our affections for the Lord. Uh, the end of that verse says that it says great is thy faithfulness. And so we serve a faithful God and we get to come in, cram into this little room, fight for seats. Um, but ultimately, we get to worship Jesus together, and that is a, that's a real joy and a delight. That's something that we never, it's easy to come in here, get our coffee, get, you know, get some snacks, get some orange juice, and, uh, and sit down and think that this is common, like this is normal. But the truth of the matter is this is only possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. Like think about the people in this room. Like some of these people you would have walked by on the street and never even said hi to. Y'all know how New Yorkers are. We won't, we'll walk by you and won't say hi in a second. Um, but can, can, can you just think of, th think of how powerful the cross was, that it brought people with different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different worldviews, and we all get to come in here and worship Jesus Christ together. Is that not good news? I am uh, Brandon Watts. I get to serve here as the lead pastor of this church, Epiphany Church. This is a church plant. We haven't even officially launched. This is... Technically, we're still in Bible study phase, um, but this is a great season for our church. We are seriously gearing up to launch our church. I don't know if you guys are excited, but I am, like, extra excited about, about the fact that we get to launch our church. It's cool. I got it. I'm extra excited that we get to launch our church, and some of you may not even know what an actual launch is. And so when, when I say that, because you may come in here like, well, then what is this? What are we doing now? Um, but we get to launch into public services, full services, uh, every week get to do communion, and we will do that every week as a, as a way to remember the cross of Christ. But this is just the Bible study where we are trying to gather ourselves together. It really feels like a soft launch to where we're pushing ourselves towards it. So uh, I am excited about uh, the 20th of this month. I want you guys to come out and seriously bring people with you so that we can all celebrate together. Listen, we've been going through the book of Colossians, the entire book. If you have your, your copies of God's word, whatever you have, your device, your Bible, uh, if you could pull them out. Those who have Bibles, can, who, who has a Bible with them? The physical Bible. Cool. There's a few of us that's more spiritual than the rest of you. <laughs> you know, it's something when you're toting the Bible. No, seriously, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, good to, it's good to get in the Word together. Listen, we've been going through the entire book of Colossians. So when I say the entire book, um, I, I, that's not a, it's not a joke. We've been going through it line by line. Isaiah 28.10 says, precept upon precept, line upon line. And that's exactly what we want to do with the Word. We want the full weight of the Word to bear 
uh, is full weight on us and on our situations and on our sin and on our dysfunctions. We want to see what the word has to say. If I'm honest, y'all know how every week I come in here and say, you know, when we go through an entire book, it doesn't give us the, uh, the opportunity to be able to skip around and preach things that we want to preach. If I had that option this morning, I would have probably skipped by this text this morning. It hit me hard. Um, but not only that, Paul is, is, to me, is very confusing in this text. And so um, to, to unpack it, it would have been a lot easier to, to skip this and go somewhere else. But that's one of the things I love about going through every single verse in the Bible is that we just don't have that, we don't have that luxury. I say it every week. I have no editorial right over the text. We just go exactly with uh, what it's saying. And so there's a lot in here and a short amount of time to do it. Before I read it, let me just be as honest as possible. I see we have some teens in here, which is fine. You don't have to leave. Um, The text is a little bit more explicit than normal. All right? It's a little bit more explicit. So let me just be honest with you. I'm not afraid to deal with it. I'm not afraid afraid of the word sex. Like, let's just say it all together. Say sex. Sex. Doesn't it feel good? Just go ahead and get the awkwardness out. We're good. I'm not afraid to say those things. And so the word is going going to hit hard on us today, and we're going to... Uh, talk about those things. I've been wanting to do that all my life. <laughs> and we just did it. Yeah. My mother, my mother said that's the first time she heard me say it. <laughs> Mom, I've been married for 14 years. Two kids. Two kids. All right. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 is where we'll spend our time. I'll read, um, I'll introduce my, my theme or topic and then um, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll move on. Uh, verse number 5 in chapter 3 of Colossians says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covet- covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you must put, a- put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, See, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised uh, and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Through this text, I, I just briefly want to uh, talk uh, along the lines of putting it to death. Putting it to death. Um, let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you, and, and if we're honest, man, this, this text is, it's easy for us to disconnect ourselves from your word. It's easy for us to read it from an academic standpoint and never uh, from a transformation, transformative, transformative, heart change uh, standpoint, And I pray that today we wouldn't do that. I pray that we would deal with our own sin, our own dysfunction. There's a lot that Paul lays out in here, and I pray that you would, uh, number one, help me to be faithful to preaching what has already been taught, has already been taught in this letter as the Colossian church would have received this. I pray that I would teach it in the same manner, add nothing to it, take nothing away, just teach exactly what Paul said. And I pray that through that you would transform our hearts. Let us not walk in here one way, leave out of here the same, but uh, let us walk in here with the anticipation that we're going to hear from you, walk out of here, encouraged and even convicted today. Would you use your word to, uh, to, to help us to grow 
Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, sanctify them through your truth. And then he says, your word is your truth. And so we get to be sanctified and, 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 and the word gets to, to really get at us today. And we are grateful that, for that. And we just pray that you would be glorified. Pray that Christ's name would be heard today, even through a text like this, that Jesus would be glorified. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. In many popular uh, clothing stores, uh, they do this thing. It's, it's called guarding their branding. They're guarding their brand. And so what they do is, especially in the high-end stores, you know, the mannequins that you see that, that are all dressed up, most of them make their employees or they require their employees to dress up like almost like models, like just like you would see in in these in the windows of these stores. You, you'd be hard-pressed to go to Nike, the Nike store, and find somebody wearing Adidas. Right. They want you to wear their brand. It's called guarding your brand. And in that, it's, it's what they're doing is they're really tapping into our own selfish, consumeristic mindsets, because they know that if you see somebody modeling a certain brand and mo modeling a certain clothes, you're probably going to be enticed to either buy it or or try to figure out how you can how you can get it. The, the problem with it is within Christianity is we do the same thing in the, in the Christian world. We try to guard our brand. And so we really never deal with our sin, the internal. We're just solely focused on the external. We want you to think we're good. We want you to think that, that there's no issues with us, that there's no problems with us. Um, but, but the problem is the Lord never meets you in your strength. Never. He always meets us in our weakness. He always meets us there. In 2 Corinthians, don't turn there, 2 Corinthians 12, it says, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The Lord always deals in weakness. Can you imagine Jesus going up to uh, the woman with the issue of blood and, he, and him saying, you know, what, what is it that you want? And she say, nothing, I'm good. Can you imagine that? Jesus dealt with her and was able to heal her because she was honest with her weakness. And so as we talk about put it to death, what you need to do as we get through the text is define what your it is in this, in this subject. Put it to death. What is the it that, it that you need to put to death? All of us in this room have that thing that we know is not right. It's hindering us from our growth with the Lord, hindering us with our pursuit of the Lord. We are, we are stuck in a cycle of whatever that it is. And I, I don't want you to disconnect today. Don't disconnect from what Paul is saying here, but be honest and wrestle with it. Let's deal with it this morning. We're, we've gotten so good at acting like things are great, just kind of hiding it, sweeping it under the rug. But let's deal with it. That is anti the gospel. The gospel is Jesus didn't look at our sin and say, man, I'm going to just sweep it under the rug. But he looked at it and dealt with it. Right. He dealt with it. And so this morning, I, I want us to do the same thing. Let's not, I just want to challenge you to let's, I mean, let's really get in the word. And so what Paul does here is he does something great. So, and throughout all of Paul's letter, the Pauline epistles, he always deals with, theology, and then he gives a practical call for application of the theology. Always. Like, if you look at places like Ephesians, there's six chapters in Ephesians. The first three chapters, Paul does something amazing. Paul just strictly deals with theology. Look in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's dealing with uh, positional sanctification, predestination. Some of you don't even know these terms. He's dealing with total depravity, regeneration, the mystery of the gospel. He's dealing with all these heavy, lofty theological themes. 
in the first three chapters, you get to chapter four, the first verse in chapter four, he says, uh, Isaiah for a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy in the manner in which you have been called. And so what he does is he takes this heavy theology and then he presents it. And then he says, he follows it up and says, walk worthy in a manner. He does the same thing in Romans. Romans is 16 chapters. He spends the first 11 chapters dealing with theology, the first 11 chapters. And then he gets to 12, uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse number one, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, accept, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so he has this, this same theme that he does where it's, it's theology, 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 and a call to live it out. Why am I saying that to you? Uh, because theology in and of itself, it doesn't have a, it's, it's not a means to an end in and of itself. The means to the end is a transformed life. The means to an end is application. You should never read a scripture and your first thought is, what does that mean? Your first thought should be, how can I apply? How can I apply that text? And so Paul does something great for, this, for the first time through the book of Colossians. He's given us theology. He's given us a Christocentric view of who Jesus is in chapter one. He dealt with, he talked about suffering. He talked about baptism in chapter two. Now he's giving us what we have not seen since we've been going through this book. And that is a call for practical application. So he's given us the theology. So today is all, is all practical. It's all practical. So let's look uh, at this together. First, uh, chapter uh, three, verse number five says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Notice something here. He doesn't, he doesn't, he says, put it to death. He doesn't say, identify it. So what we do is we like to say, man, I'm going to identify my sin and I'm not going to do anything about it. As long as I'm aware of it, as long as I know about it, then I'm good. That's a dangerous place to be in just knowing your sin and doing nothing with it. Knowing you're dysfunctional and doing nothing with it. So he doesn't say identify it. He doesn't say control it. We like to do that, right? We like to control our sin. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say restrain it. He doesn't say manage it. He says put it to death kill it, execute it. See, we, that's a hard thing for us. We don't like to do that. We, we want to just know about it and try to, try to manage it as best as, we could, best as we can. But he doesn't, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't give us that this morning. He says, man, there's no room. Don't, don't underestimate it. It will take you out. You don't put it to death. It will put you to death. I hope you have on your mind what that it is. If you do not put that thing to death, it's going to it's going to take you out. Jesus used a similar language in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to, uh, to, offend, to an offense, to sin, tear it out. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And then he goes on to say, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, obviously, Paul nor Jesus is talking about literal surgery or literal amputation because the sin isn't in the physical hand. The sin isn't in the eye. It's a heart issue. Back in the day in, in, in past centuries in England, uh, if you were caught of pickpocketing and you were convicted of it, they would cut your right hand off. If you were caught again, the other hand would, would have the same fate. They'd cut your left hand off. I'm told of a story that a guy that got caught and convicted two times, they cut both of his hands off only to continue his occupation with his teeth. And so the, 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 the issue isn't the hands. 
The issue is the heart. And if this morning you were thinking, man, I can't stop sinning, but it's, it's just a physical thing. No, it's because the external sin is only because you have not put to death what is internal in the heart. What's internal in the heart is, hu- is huge. We can't control. We're not good. Let's just put this out there. We're not good at controlling behavior, behavior modification. If I can just stop doing this. No, there's a heart issue that we must get to. And through getting to that heart issue, it impacts how uh, how you walk. And so Paul is serious here, man. Don't underestimate it. The question is, how do you put it to death? How do we put to death, especially those of us that have been in a cycle of sin over and over and over and over again? How do I? Man, it's a normal part of my routine now. How do I put that thing to death? Well, it's the the simplest way is to cut the lifeline, right? Cut the pinch the the air pipe. You just have to kind of cold turkey. And I'm going to give more, but cold turkey... there's a self-controlled discipline. That's why Paul says, man, I beat my flesh in order to make it behave. It, it's, a, it's a sense where I must physically condition my thinking, my actions to be servanthood to Jesus Christ on a consistent basis. Die daily. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we must do. Now, let me get real practical. When I say uh, cut the, the blood flow, pinch the air pipe in this cycle of sin, some of you know she ain't no good for you. Like, let's just be honest. I know she's cute, but she's no good. So, some of you young ladies, y'all know he not good, but he got cute abs. and <laughs> You know, he look good. He smile. He like his mama. You know, if they like their mom, it's like a whole nother thing. He, make a, he making good money. You know, he got a nice job. Truth of the matter is, you know, but you know he's not good for you. You know he keeps making you fall back into a cycle of sin. Put it to death. Don't, don't joke around with it. Can you, like, Samson and Delilah, I don't know if you guys know this story in, in Judges chapter 16 with Samson and Delilah. Samson had multiple, I mean, multiple opportunities to run out. Like three times she, I mean, three times he told her what was his weakness he lied two or three times, but then the fourth time he got got. Can you imagine four times? Like some of you have, the Lord has shown you they're no good multiple times. And, and maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's something, you know, the Lord has showed you that that thing is no good for you. But instead of running, you just continue in it. I'm convinced if Samson would have put more control in the situation, he wouldn't. I mean, the, you, here's the thing. You don't see Samson having another issue with another woman. Delilah put it on him so bad that he was done. He was done. He was like, put me between the columns. I'm going to tear this thing. I'm going I'm to fulfill what I'm supposed to do. But he did. So, so in other words, Delilah, her, her, the sin that he got in with Delilah was so great that, man, he didn't even have to get it. So you guys are one relationship, one decision away from destroying everything. I want you to feel the weight of that. I want you to think about that. I, I'm, I saw a video on YouTube as we talk about putting it to death, and I'm going to move on. I saw a video on YouTube of uh, it was an alligator trainer where they trained these alligators to keep their mouth open no matter what was put in their mouth. And so all of these people would pack an uh, arena to see these alligators train these, to see these men train these alligators. 
And, the, and so they would open the alligator's mouth, and the, the guy would stick his head in the alligator's mouth. And everybody's like, ah. Oh. Then he put his leg in the alligator's mouth. And everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> then he puts his arm in the alligator's mouth, and the alligator snaps. Ow, bites down on his arm. See, in that moment, I'm always rooting for the alligator. <laughs> I am, because, like, you're stupid. Why do you have your arm in the alligator's mouth? Like, who's the first person that said, I'm going to train an alligator? I'm going to put my arm in my head in his mouth. Like, think about this. So this alligator snaps. That's what happens as it relates to sin. That's exactly what happens. We play with this thing. We act like it's okay. I'm going to just text him. That's it. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to just tell him to come over. Uh, he can sit on the other side of the couch. And then after a while of playing with that, that's putting your head in, that's putting your leg in. After a while, the alligator, when it's hungry, when it's tired of you, it's going to bite you. It's going to bite you. And so we're, we're told this morning not to play. Don't train the alligator. Don't play with the alligator. Take the alligator outside, cut its head off, and leave it in the streets. That's how serious Paul is here. And so he says in verse 5, put to death. Put it to death. Kill it. Execute it. Don't play games with this thing, but kill it. He says in, he, he moves on. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And now what he's about to do is he's about to go through five practical um, ways to put things to death. First, he, Now, the first four are all sensual. Now, I told y'all I'm, I'm just going to be a little risque this morning. I'm going to be in the text. The, t- the text is risky. And so four of them are sensual. One of them isn't sensual, but its strategic location being placed in the same verse shows us a connection. So if you guys are okay, I'd love to just go through each one of these. First one. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Before I go to it, just remember, this is coming off of the heels of the first couple of verses in chapter 3 that we went through. The first couple of verses said, set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Now Paul is going to drill down what the things of the earth is. Sexual immorality. That's the first one he deals with. The Greek word for, uh, the original word, the Greek word is Pornea. It's where we get our English word uh, pornography. Yes, he's talking here about uh, fornication or the the act of sin outside of uh, act of sex outside of marriage. Yes, he's talking about that. But even more broadly than that, overall, he's talking about any immoral sexual act. He says, put that to death. Put those things to death. Now, this call would have been radical in pagan in this pagan culture. Radical. But I would even argue that today's culture, this is just as more, this is just as radical. Like to tell someone to abstain from sex until you get married. You know how many times I have to tell people to do that? Abstain from sex before you get married. What? We live in a culture, we live in a culture that that we have this, I gotta test drive the car before I buy it. That's what they say. I've heard people tell me that. I have to test drive the car. I have to see if we're sexually compatible. Like, is that what we're basing marriage on? You know how many people outside of marriage you can be sexually compatible with? Like, that isn't the standard for marriage. He says, put that thing to death. Put that type of mindset, that type of behavior. Jesus lovers don't test drive cars. We don't test drive cars. We, we marry the woman. We marry the man that we know the Lord has called us to marry, and in that relationship, listen, swing on the lights. Have fun. Be free. Do whatever you want in your, in your sexual ex- escapade within your husband and your wife. 
Sexual immorality, put that thing to death. Anything outside of the covenant of marriage, put it to death. Put it to death. Now, let, let's, let's, you may be feeling a little fidgety, a little uncomfortable this morning, but let's, let's just let's deal with it. There are people in here that are like, man, you know what? This is hitting home for me. I know that I'm dealing in this sexual immorality area. Listen, Paul tells us this morning. I'm not saying it. Paul is saying this morning, put it to death. How crazy would it be if the world looked into the church and saw purity? See, what the world does is they look in and see the same thing they see in the world. Why do I got to be, why do I got to abstain from sex and y'all not even abstaining from sex? That's what they, so like my deepest prayer this morning when I read this, outside of the prayer for myself and my family was that we would have a church full of young ladies that are godly, that are, that are serious about accountability, serious about the word, serious about their pursuit of Jesus so much that they'll say to the dude, yo, you got to, you want to, you want to do that? We got to get married. Like, that's my prayer. Are dudes that are so hungry for Jesus that they have no time to fool up with, with chicks that they know aren't no, ain't no good for them. That's my deepest prayer for us this morning, that the world will look at the church and see the church is not perfect. Now, I'm not saying perfect. You will fall. You will slip up. So and if you have, I don't want to beat you up this morning. I just want to say, man, there's room for you to repent. The cross has made that available for you. Whatever you've been in, if you hear me beating you up, listen, the cross, you can run to it. There's never a moment where you can't. There's never a moment where we're chilling at the cross and we're just like, yeah, I'm good. There's always a kneeling at the cross saying there's room. And so there's room for you this morning. So I don't want to beat you up. He says, put it to death. Put what to death? Sexual immorality. Then he moves on to impurity, right? Impurity. Now, that's different. I would argue that the sexual immorality is driven by the impurity. Why? Because the, the, the Greek meaning of this word doesn't point to the physical act of sex. It points to the imagination. It points to the speech. It points to the thoughts. It points to things that are not physical. And so I would say your thinking will turn into behavior at some point. And so the things that you think, that the filthy thoughts, this is where, and I told y'all it's going to get a little risky this morning, this is where masturbation falls under. You know how many people I have that come to me and say, is masturbation a sin? And I'm like, oh, if you can find a way to do it without using filthy thoughts, no, but you can't. And so, yeah, it's a sin. Like, I don't know the dude that's like, well, I'm going to masturbate, but think about football and tractor trailers. Like, that doesn't work. It doesn't happen. So it's the filthy thoughts that, that Paul is saying here. When he says impurity, he's talking about your imagination. Get your thinking under control. So many of us have, we, we're not acting on the sin, but so many of us have just an unhealthy, uh, a unhealthy thought. There, there's, a, there, there's a guy that came up to me one time. He quoted to me Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. He says, man, masturbation's in the Bible. I'm like, where? Show me. And he goes into to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, and it's a joke, by the way. But he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. <laughs> I'm like, What? See, that, that is a bad use of that text. Let me, just, let me just tell you right now. Put to death filthy thoughts. Put to death those things in your mind that you constantly think about. Those things that you, you, you know they're no good. Like, it's unhealthy to think about these things. And you know they're, they're no good. Well, I'm not acting on it. I'm not doing it. Doesn't Jesus deal with that, though? 
in Matthew chapter 5 when, when he says, you, you know, I, I know you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you look upon a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. And so we're like, man, I didn't act on it, but Jesus already got us. He said, but you thought it. And if you think it, it's already, you might as well already commit the sin. And so we must control our thought process, not just control, bad word. We must put to death our thought process. And so he deals with it, sexual immorality and purity. And by the way, impurity is, again, is not just imagination, but your speech as well. See, some of us get messed up in relationships because, we, man, we, we, our conversations aren't right. You know, it's, you know you feel uncomfortable when you text and it's like, ah, I shouldn't send this one. You erase it three or four times and you write it again. Ah, should I send this? I know this isn't going to be taken the right way. Man, put that thing to death. Stop trying to control it. Stop thinking that you can, you can master it. So as a consequence, the, the impure thoughts will lead to sexual behavior, will lead to impure sexual immorality. Paul says put it to death. So he keeps going. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Now he deals with passion. Again, another one that uh, this, the, the, the act of passion will lead to sexual sin. When he talks about passion, he is referring to the shameful emotions that lead to sexual episodes. So the, the, the Greek meaning here, and th these are important. That's why I'm not trying to floss that I know some Greek. That's not what it is. I, these are important. The Greek meaning for it, the, the word originally was pathos. The reason I bring that up is because this isn't the only time that Paul uses this word. He's used this word before. And so he says, put to death pathos, put to death your passions. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. If you're taking notes, he's talking about the lust of uh, the passionate lust from heterosexuals straight. Right. So he says in there, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each of you. Uh, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Here it is right here. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. When it says Gentiles, it's talking about people that don't know God. So he's saying, put, their, put that thing to death in unhealthy heterosexual relationships. But then he uses the exact same word, pathos, the exact same word in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. But this one, he uses it for homosexuals. Look at what he says. Romans 1, for this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable, here it is, passions, pathos. He gave them up to dishonorable passions for their woman exchange, natural relations for those that are, on, that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed, here it is again, with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty, I love this, for their error. So anybody says, well, homosexuality is not a sin. Well, the Bible just called it an error, and it called it, diso it, called it dishonorable passions. So the reason I wanted to read, it was intentional to read 1 Thessalonians to you first, because the church has a bad rep of, of beating up on homosexuals. Church hasn't dealt well, well with homosexuals at all. I mean, we, we just want to, I mean, they are, I've used this analogy before, but it's the, the peeing in the pool analogy where we're all, everybody in here has peed in the pool, by the way. So don't act like you haven't. We've all peed in the pool. It's, it's like all of us sitting in the, in, inside the pool 
we're peeing in the pool, and Gabe is standing on the outside of the pool, and Gabe is peeing in the pool, but he's peeing from the outside. All of us in here, I had to use you. You look like you peed in the pool on the outside. I'm just kidding. Like, can you imagine that all of us in there would be pointing at Gabe going, that's disgusting. Meanwhile, all of us are peeing in the pool. That, that, see, that's how we deal with homosexuals. We look at them like their sin is bigger than any other sin. The same word that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 4 to talk about a heterosexual lust, he uses it in Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to talk about homosexuals. In other words, both passions need to be put to death. Both of them. Put them to death. Kill them. This morning. So he keeps going. He says, sexual immorality, put that thing to death. Impurity, put that thing to death. Passions, put it to death. He now goes on to, uh, he goes on to evil desires. Evil desires, very, very similar. It's a little bit more intense, but it's similar to passions. Similar to passions. They, uh, this one is closely connected, at least the passions it is. This one's, talk, this one's talking about the wicked, self-serving, unhealthy desires. Many of us, man, we got some bad appetites for, some, for, for the wrong stuff. And the culture feeds this one. Like, you can't even go on TV and watch TV today without evil desires being aroused. You can't go on social media. You can't scroll through. Like, my son's turning 13 in a few months, and we told him he's been asking since he was like eight, could he be on some type of social media, Instagram, Facebook, something. He's been at because all his friends were on, and we're like, no, man, you can't be on. You're too young. You're too young. You're too young. And we said, maybe when you're 13. Well, he's about to turn, like, it just hit me. He's about to turn 13. <laughs> and so we're, me, and, me and Ty are already trying to revisit, like, man, is he ready for this? I don't know. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is, like, I'm worried about my son going on because of evil desires, because of what's on there. Like, yeah, they have that button that you can report, you know, that this isn't appropriate. But I don't know, man. Maybe people just ain't reporting it because my timeline, <laughs> it'd be filled. I'm, just, I'm telling you. So we must fight against that. Not just, here's the thing about evil desires. You can't fight against evil desires one time and think you're done. You've conquered it. This is a daily battle. This is a daily, daily battle. We must fight against this thing uh, on a consistent basis. So, so take these, these four lustful um, these four lustful passions, take them outside and execute them. Make them drop to their knees and kill them. It's violent, but we must do it. Again, if you don't do it, it's going to kill you. I, I've been wrestling with Proverbs 6, 27. If you're taking notes, that has, that has been a verse that has been foundational for me this week. Romans 6, 27. The reason is because it says, a man, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? That's what we do, man. When it comes to these, this list, man, we carry fire next to our chest. And maybe your clothes isn't getting burnt, but I bet you it smells like smoke. And so we carry this thing, and we think that, we can, that we're not going to get burnt by it. At some point, it's going to burn your clothes. Proverbs 6.27 tells us that. But foundational for me uh, to make sure that we're not underestimating this thing. Let me just be honest. You're not strong enough. You're not. You're not. So stop acting like you are. Stop thinking that you might do it. At the risk of sounding legalistic, I'm just going to say it anyway. Some of you have no business on social media. Like, like, come on, let's be honest. You know it's not good for you. You know it's not good for your heart. Some of you have no business even having a TV because you know it's not good for you. 
Some of you need to say, man, at 7 o'clock, I am turning off my laptop and I'm not turning it back on because I know what happens at night when I have my laptop. Like, kill that thing. Like, kill it. Don't, let's not joke around with it like you're strong enough. Years ago, years ago, I stopped watching MTV and BET videos. Years ago. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm telling you my heart. I couldn't handle it. So some of you need to figure out what it is. What is that thing that keeps you from pursuing the Lord faithfully? And that's the thing that you need to kill. He keeps going. And he says, covetedness, which is idolatry. Now, this is the only one out of the five in the list that's not a sensual um, passion or lust. The only one. But again, it's strategic location in the text does connect it. This is talking about the desire to possess what the covetedness is, the desire to possess more than you have. So the, the, I think what, what the scripture is really showing us this morning is once you've killed all of these sensual sins, look out for materialistic stuff that you want to just hoard. Now, that's that's just as bad. Greed, covetedness, idolatry is just as bad as the, the sexual sins. We must be on guard. Most people that have killed all of the other sensual sins, you'll find that they have a problem with money or collecting or, or wanting your wife or wanting your money or wanting your life or wanting your gifts. It usually all <coughs> runs uh, together. Let's keep going, though. So he goes through the five. He's going to give us five more uh, in a couple of verses. He's going to give us five more but they're all, they're, none of them are sensual. They're all about speech. So this is why I said this morning the text is a little weird because he bounces from thing to thing. All of it has the same thread, put it to death. That All of it has the same thread. Verse number six, after he lists out the five, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God. Now this is, this is interesting because y'all know me, man. I'm a one-trick pony. Every week we come in here, I talk about grace. I talk about the love of Christ. I talk about the cross every single week. One trick pony. I got, I got one sermon. I just come from Colossians 1. I come from Colossians 2 is one sermon. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the grace that's found in the gospel. I am in awe of it. But the text this morning also shows us that there's a wrath side to God. Now, see, we can still preach the cross from that because the cross is the only place that we see collided. The wrath, the justice the mercy, the grace of our God. But don't skip over his wrath. Wrath is his divine response against our sin and our disobedience. And so what Paul is showing us here is those that can live under those five things that I just mentioned out, that Paul mentions out, those that can live under those without conviction, you must check your profession of faith. If you're in here and you're like, man, I'm a believer. I believe Jesus. But you're in this list, continuing in this sin without conviction. You must check that. Now, I know some of y'all are like, man, don't get people to question if they're believers or not. Don't, don't make them question it. Why not? Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse number five says, examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. Examine. If you can live in a cycle of sin, and never feel conviction, there's an issue. There's a heart check that must be checked out today. Some of you are. Some, let's be honest. Some of you are in this, in this passage. You are living in it, and there's no conviction. There must be a, a deep heart 
uh, a deep heart check. So again, at the cross, we see that. We see, we see grace. So we want to preach grace. We see, um, we, we, we see justice. So we want to preach justice, but we see wrath. The full wrath of God that was bare, uh, bore its weight on Jesus Christ. And so Paul now deals with it. He says, he, he shows us here that a man and a woman that has truly been changed by Jesus Christ will never experience wrath. Like, let me just show you, tell you this. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, there is no wrath for you. The wrath has already been poured out on Jesus. But the person that can live under these without conviction, the wrath still remains. Paul talks about it in Corinthians, how the wrath remains on us. So even if you said, man, I believe in Jesus, you know how many people, like you go out, I, some, some, every other morning we have coffee and stuff outside, and I've stood out here and talked to people, and they're like half drunk, like, yeah, I'm not saying drunk is, well, anyway, half drunk, they're like, <laughs> I believe in Jesus. It's like, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of your profession? The fruit should be, I'm taking these things, and I'm not living under them. I'm not comfortable with them. I'm putting them to death. I'm putting them to death. Let's keep going. By the way, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to read it because we don't have time. First John 3, 9 through 10 really backs up that, that point I was just talking about as far as living in sin but professing faith. It's a contradiction. It's an oxymoron. Read 1 John 3, uh, 9 through 10. Let me keep going. Verse number 7. In these you too once walked when you lived in them. Note the word walked, past tense. Past tense in which you once walked. Walked. That means the assumption of the text is that you no longer walk in these things. But if you're if you walk in them and there's no past tense, again, there, there is we, there's a, a check, a heart check that we must um, that we must do this morning. And so this was all a part of the former life. In our former life, we could do these things with no conviction. You weren't a believer. You could do that. But once you profess, there must be a distinction between your old self and your new self. If you profess faith in Jesus, but there's no distinction, you don't see a difference. Again, we must, we must really check. And so Paul now deals, he, he goes through the list. He's going to give us five more things in verse number eight. Uh, I think it's verse number eight or it's verse number nine. He's going to give us five more things, but now he's going to switch the conversation from sexual wickedness to speech wickedness. Look at what he does in verse number eight. But now you must put them all away. Before we move on, don't run past that. All. Put them all away, not some of them. Don't put, you know, sexual immorality away and not impurity. Don't put impurity away and not evil desires. Put them all away. But now you must put them all away. Here it is. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your, from your mouth. Verse number nine, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so now he deals with speech. He talks about tongue wickedness here. Man, some of us, man, we, man, we will tear you down with our tongue. What'd you say, Tasha? <laughs> some of us will tear, we will, we will, we may not physically fight you, but we can, we know how to, we know how to cuss you out. Some people have just bad speech. But here's the, here's the crazy part about it. Matthew 12 says, on the day of judgment, on the day you stand before the Lord, it says, we'll give an account for every careless word. 
everything you've said, malice, that's tearing people down. Malice normally, malice normally couples itself with getting revenge. No, she didn't say that. I'm going to tell her a piece, of, a piece of my mind. Speech. We must be careful of our speech. We must be careful. Put even that to death. Things that you talk about that shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be talked about. Lying. He deals with it in this text. But then he moves on. So now he, he, he goes from personal sin, right? Personal sin of sexual sin and even speech sin. And now he deals with corporate. He goes to a corporate look. Now look at what he says in verse number nine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice something here. It says that you've put off the old self and you've put on the new self. If all we're concerned about is putting off the old self, stopping, stopping it, destroying it, putting it to death. If that's all we're concerned about and we're not putting on the new self, it's dangerous. If I go up and down Halsey from Bedford to Marcy Avenue and tear all of the houses down and don't rebuild in the same spot, you know how many people are going to be homeless? And so what we do is tear down. We stop things. But we deconstruct, but we never reconstruct. We never build back up. We never put anything in its place. Very dangerous to do that. Galatians 5 is a, is a great place to look at this, where it talks about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And so my prayer this morning is not that you would just stop the deeds of the flesh or put those things to death. My prayer is that you would put on the fruit of the spirit. So you stop something, but you replace it. It's dangerous just to stop and leave it empty and not do anything. But you must replace it. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law for the works of the flesh are evident. Now, here's the crazy. I'm in Galatians 5, by the way. The list is very similar to this one. This is what he says. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, says the same thing I just said. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. So those of you who are like, man, I, I hear you, Pastor, with this list, but I can't stop that. I'm, I know I'm a believer, but I can't stop the cycle of sin that I'm in. Do you just hear that the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control? What do you mean you can't stop? You got the Spirit living inside of you. Let me just tell you, those of you who have, have, have trusted Jesus and placed your faith in Jesus, the moment, according to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, the moment you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The moment you believe, it it's not later on, the moment you believe, not that you're perfect, but the moment you believe, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things I just named. One of them is self-control. And so we can we can control it. And so the goal of this text uh, is that we are, we are walking in the spirit, which will stop us from walking 
with the flesh. Remember when I said, well, how do I stop a cycle of sin? Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think the other thing is accountability, man. Like we, not that accountability stops everything, but we, man, we are the most unaccountable people. We can just live life isolated. Nobody knows us. We, we don't want you in on this. You know, I, I'm going to just, because then you'll judge me. That's the biggest thing. You'll, I don't want nobody judging me. Can't nobody judge me. But God, you, he's the last person you want to judge you. Like, you should want me to judge you. Like, you don't want God to judge you. But we lack accountability. Some of you, man, y'all, y'all should have on your device, on your laptop, you should have some type of software that if, and I had an accountability partner where we had on our software, on our devices and on our laptops, anything that I went on on the internet, somebody else is able to see. I know y'all are like, man, that's, man, that's, that's too much in my business. Some of you need that. You need that type of accountability. And so Paul does what now, the last, the last text here, uh, I, I'm going to just read really quickly, and then I, I'm just going to talk about it, and we'll, we'll move off of it, especially because we're sitting in this room ethnically diverse, which I love to see. One of the most beautiful times is when y'all are letting out on Sunday mornings, and uh, we got Nigerians, Caribbeans, and we got white, and we got black, and we got all of these ethnicities, Puerto Rican. We got a, any other, anything I missed? Okay. We got all these people going outside into the community. That is such a beautiful picture. It's such a beautiful picture. But Paul shows us in the next verse, next and last verse, Paul shows us that putting off the old self and putting on the new self should impact how we have relationship with one another. Let me show you why. Verse number 11. Verse number 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Greek and Jews, that's oil and vinegar in ancient times. They didn't get along. Ethnically, that just, that just didn't work. But this is what he says. When you put off the old stuff, put on the new stuff. Here, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so this text doesn't, to me, it doesn't say ignore ethnicities. Like, we can look at the same Trayvon Martin case. We can look at the same video of homeboy in Ferguson, and we can look at the same video of, the, of Eric Gardner in Staten Island, and all of us can disagree. But the point is, let's at least talk. Like, let's at least talk. Let's have conversation. We don't got to agree, but at least hear my point, and let me hear your point, and let's empathize. And so Paul is, is dealing with it here. So the cross of Christ doesn't just he doesn't just destroy the vertical wall between you and God. It breaks down the wall of hostility between us. We should be able to have conversation on an ethnic level, socioeconomic level. We can be in two different brackets, but we should be in relationship. Putting off the old self, putting on the new self allows us to do this. So this morning, we, we've walked through so many things. We walk through sexual sins, materialistic, coveting, lying in speech, and racial barriers. So many little nuances to this text that we've walked through. The only thing that, the only thing that, that, that really allows us to be able to operate and kill this type of a list is the cross of Christ. That's it. 
there, you know we have no hope beyond that. There's no hope beyond the cross. This is, I, I challenge you guys this week to do three things. Three things I challenge you to do. If you're taking, taking notes, three things I, I'm asking you to, to think about doing. First is make a list of every area that you know you need to put to death. Every area. Don't leave nothing unturned. Make a list of them. Second, go to the word and find what I like to call fighting verses. We go into battle without, without a weapon, without the sword. Find verses in the Bible that fit what you're struggling with, that fit what you need to put to death. I guarantee you it's in here. Whatever you're dealing with, I guarantee you the word has something to say about it. Make the list. Find fighting verses. And then the third is a little bit radical. Share it with somebody else. Accountability. I just told you all that. Like, we're, we're the most uncount. My generation does not like accountability. Find somebody and tell them, man, this is my list. These are the things. I'm, somebody that you trust. Right? Somebody that's not going to share your business, but you trust that person. Here, here's the other part of it. That's not going to allow you to continue with the list. The person that's going to be like, yo, you wrong. You're wrong. You, 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 need to, you need to keep this. You need to fight harder. Let me, let me pray with you. Let me walk with you. Let me, let, me, let me memorize those verses with you and recall them, recite them to you when you're struggling. Let's make those lists. Let's find fighting verses and find somebody else that you can share that list with for accountability reasons and ask them, man, check in with me. Ask me how I'm doing. See, that you can confess your sin to the Lord and there's forgiveness, right? But James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. Why am I confessing my sin to one another when I've already confessed my sin to the Lord and it's forgiven? You do it because the verse says that you may be healed. There's a healing process that happens, that happens within us confessing um, our sins. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we, we are submitting ourselves to a very difficult very difficult text. Some of us have, um, have lived in a cycle of sin for a long time. If we're honest, some of us are uncomfortable right now with, with the thought of sharing what I deal with with somebody else. We love to suffer in secret. We love it because there's nobody that can tell us anything. Isolation is, is punishment in our culture. We isolate when we send someone to jail, further isolate them by putting them into solitary confinement. Yet, as Christians, we want to live isolated from everybody. Don't want anybody to know what's going on with us. Lord, convict us this morning. Help us to see our desperate need for you. God, we are needy for you. We are not only needy for you, but we're needy for community. We're needy for other believers to challenge us. Father, would you do a work in our hearts this morning? Pray for every single person in here. As difficult as it may be, pray that you would help them to be godly men, godly women that love you and are more concerned with your glory than our personal few minutes of satisfaction. Pray for every married couple in here. You would bless these marriages to exemplify the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us as husbands be passionate about pursuing our wives. 
making sure our wives are spiritually growing, make sure they're connected to you. Likewise, I pray that every wife in here would push her husband to be a godly man. And pray for our children. As young as they are, they are exposed to more than we were exposed to when we were kids. In this new age of social media, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, I'm not, I'm not surprised at the sin in the world. I'm, not, I'm just surprised that there's not more of it. We are desperately sick. Sometimes the medicine that we take doesn't taste good. And I just pray that this morning that you would do a work in our hearts. Let confession start today. Let repentance start today. Not tomorrow, but let us take that alligator and kill it. Let us stop playing these games. Let us expose ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is we will not make it. We will not survive. Let us be like Job where he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. Pray that for our men in here. Pray that for our women in here. Would you be glorified? Would the cross be the central theme in our lives that helps us to fight these areas? Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, if we're in here and we've, we've fallen or we're continuously falling, thank you that we have an advocate with the Father that pleads on our behalf. Do a work in us today. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen.